those of you who are staying in the auditorium, would you take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Titus. We're headed to the book of Titus. While you're turning in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, let me run through some things. Just see how you're thinking this morning if you're wide awake on a cold morning. Name a job where it's okay to yell. Where? Referee. What did somebody say? A bank. You can yell in a bank. You're like, stick them up, maybe. Yeah. What else do you have? A policeman. A, what'd you say? Auctioneer, umpire. Nobody's saying preacher. Okay. Nobody did on the survey. An auctioneer, a stockbroker, police, teacher, sports, somebody involved in sports and construction. Name an activity people might take up after they retire. Golf is going to be there. Reading. They didn't do it. Didn't do it beforehand. <laughs> Taking naps. This is yeah. Well, it's an activity for some. What else do you have? Part-time job. Golf is set. Traveling. Working. Still working. Okay. Here's what they said. They said knitting, playing an instrument, gardening, fishing, traveling, and number one was golf. You got it. Okay. Name something you do that uh, it's something you do that you become drowsy while you're doing it. Praying, Praying. Praying. attending church, okay, reading. <laughs> reading, driving, oh, watching TV. Oh, yeah, I think you got most all of them. Sitting in church, visiting, homework, working, watching TV, driving, and number one was reading. What do you, would you do if you heard a noise in your house in the middle of the night? <laughs> get your pistol what'd you say wake up your husband okay I'd wake up my wife okay any, any other ideas what send your dog oh that's a good one if you have if you don't if you have a dog okay Wait, wait. Here's what they said. Call the police, wake up someone else, scream, nothing, and investigate. Name something about the ocean people worry about. Sharks. Sharks. Okay. What'd you say? Jellyfish. Drowning. The, uh, the undertow. Okay. Here's what they had. Large waves, riptides, undertows, jellyfish, their boats sinking, capsizing, storms at sea, and sharks. Name something people should avoid. Something they should avoid. What's that? Getting angry. There's a whole series on that. That's uh, Sunday nights. That is so I'm so glad you mentioned that, Nate. Okay. That's excellent. What else should they avoid? Strangers? Okay. Drinking too much? Nothing they should avoid? What'd you say? Excess? Okay. So, survey was wild animals, skunks and snakes. This comes because somebody shared, we were, we were walking out, we had the deacons meeting tonight, and one of the deacons and I said, we need to go to the garage and check something. We opened the door and we got this whiff of skunk in the backyard somewhere. And he looked at me and said, are you adventuresome? No. No, we're just, we're not going to risk going, to, we can do the garage, check the things out in the daytime. Uh, dangerous heights, bad company, driving recklessly, hurricanes and floods, 
big debts on credit cards, bad doctrine and teaching, and temptations. That's what we're talking about. These number one and number two. Let's head there to uh, Titus 2, if you're not with, uh, not there yet. Titus chapter 2. Let's set the scene, and then we're going to look into Titus 2. We are talking about becoming more like the Master, and our whole idea is this idea that God wants us, He predestined us to become conformed to Jesus Christ. It won't be complete until we're in glory. However, He's working in the process right now. And as He's working in the process, we're talking in this one section, the first section of this, this period of time, we're talking about personal holiness, becoming more like Christ. And we've pointed out that in Ephesians chapter 4, he is talking about putting off the former conversation or lifestyle conduct of what we used to be like, and we're supposed to put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so we've been talking about that idea that comes out of the book of Romans as well, Make no provision for the flesh, preceded by put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking about, are there some specific stated vices that we should put off, virtues we should put on? And so we've looked at some passages already that even in the Old Testament, God gave a spiritual grocery list of things that they were supposed to be concerned about, both positively as well as negatively, that they were supposed to put these off and put these things on. In the New Testament, he did the same thing. In the New Testament, there are times where, like in the book of Ephesians, after he said put off and put on, he made specific application. He talked about put off, the idea put on anger, but don't put on unrighteous anger, which we've been talking about the last couple Sunday nights. Put off lying, put on the speaking of truth. Put off stealing, put, off, uh, put on working honestly and being charitable to others. And so all these things are listed out that he has said and pointed out. Now we're in Titus. Titus has another grocery list of different virtues and vices. We're in Titus chapter 2. Let's start with verse 1. But speak you the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged woman, likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is ashamed of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of our God, our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, while looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. And so it's very clear. Tim, uh, Titus, you have a job. Teach people this. Okay, let's pick up specifics here. In verses, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, 
in um, 7 and 8, and he started off in the chapter, and in this text, I should have 2, 7 and 8, he's talking about the preacher. Okay, there's certain things the preachers are supposed to, to deal with. Let's jump over that, okay? Let's get into where it applies to the bulk here. Let's talk about what does he tell the old men? What are they supposed to be working on? Or there's the character traits they're supposed to be putting on and off. What do you have? What's your first one? Be sober. Okay. That idea of being sober. What's that mean in our society today? What's it mean to be sober? Okay. Sound mind. Okay. Serious. Typically, when we use it in our society, we're saying not not drunk, okay? But it has this, this connotation that it's the idea of, in this one, abstaining not only from the wines, but also making sure your mind is clear and you're being sound-minded. That is, you're being this idea of self-controlled, literally. The grave has this idea. It's acting mature, acting dignified, okay? Acting in a way that is of your age, Okay? The next word that he gives is temperate, okay? And in this word, it's the idea that discreet, curbing your desires. He's talking about being sound-minded. He is implying this, that even as we get older, do we have temptations? Yes, no? Yeah, yeah, there's still a battle. There's still a battle. And he's saying, okay, make sure you curb your desires, even as you get older. The word that he used, the phrase that he uses, sound in, and then he uses three words to describe it. The idea of sound is healthy and enduring. That this is, these traits are really, they're evident in your life. And they're constant in your life. And you're following through. That's faith, love, and patience with other people. So then he jumps from there and he talks about the ladies. Where does he start off with the ladies, the older woman? What are they supposed to be concerned about? What do you have in the, first, in, in the beginning of this? Okay. That they be in behaviors, become holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. And again, we have different translations, and it's helpful at times to look at those translations to get an idea of how these words flesh out. So that become as holiness, that's that reverent demeanor, as somebody mentioned, being very consistent. Okay, ladies, be reverent. Then he makes this comment, not false accusers. That word, anybody remember what the word is? Okay. The word that comes from there is not slanderers. Okay. It is the word not, not satanizing. Okay. Because Satan really is, the word Satan means to slander, to speak falsely and, and accuse people. So the idea of not false accusers is, okay, you're guarding your speech. You're not accusing. You're not attacking others. You're being very careful what you say. Then he makes this comment, not given to much wine, and we understand what that is, okay? That in that society, they're being cautious, they're being careful. Okay, wine again, let's not jump on a bandwagon and say, okay, he's saying not too much of whatever, you know, that we have today. Remember, wine in that society was, was their best beverage because water was... Okay, you know, it was unsafe. Bottom line, it was like Florida was going through in some of those communities right now. And so the wines gave them a safer idea, and he's saying, be careful you don't do too much, because there's always a possibility with too much you lose control. And you get slurred, and all of a sudden you're not being careful. Uh, Teachers of good things, you understand what that is, is they're instructing others 
okay? That they're, and by the way, let's, let's lay it out. The best teachers, uh, how do I rephrase? Yeah, the best teachers are those who not only say something that's good, but they live it, okay? In fact, we usually, we usually are, are individuals, we catch more than we hear. We just catch by observation. And so um, these virtues are to be taught, they're to be encouraged. And in particular, who are the older ladies supposed to be teaching? Okay, let, let's jump into what he says. The, if you're teaching, instructing younger ladies, and we don't have ages on this, okay, and he could be talking age-wise as far as physical age, what is another possibility? Yeah, we're talking spiritual age. It could, be, it could be one or the other. We think he's probably talking the, uh, the physical age and by what he says here. But there is the maturity factor. So the younger ladies, what are they supposed to be focusing on? What do we have in these verses? That the older ladies are to teach the younger ladies to... Okay, you, let's start with that first phrase. They're supposed to, well, the sober is the, is the same idea of the self-control. The idea of love their husbands. I've heard this said multiple times, that scriptures never, um, never says anything about uh, mothers and ladies loving their husbands and wife, uh, their children because it's so natural that mothers just automatically love their children, and they never need to improve, but dads are spoken of in Ephesians 6. That's really not true, okay? This text, you know, and it sounds very commendary and complimentary of young ladies that they are just so filled with compassion and love that it just exudes from them. That's, that's kind of nice to think, but this passage teaches us differently, that there needs to be instruction in how to do that, so it talks about loving their husbands and children. This love in this text is what Pastor Kim talked about in First Corinthians. You were here when he did that uh, mini-series in August. This is the words of phileo. You have the word agapao. You have the idea of, you know, that sacrificing. The word phileo has more of an idea of friendship, getting along with them. You understand it. The Delphi is a city. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Okay. Right. That's the, that's the concept of it. Now, we're not supposed to be idealistic in our life. We're supposed to be realistic. Okay, and so he's saying, okay, teach the ladies, the younger ladies, how to be good friends, how to have brotherly love towards their husbands, towards their kids. In other words, good friends don't always try to change. Good friends get together and do things. They enjoy companionship with those other people. And so he says this has to be something that's instructed, something that isn't naturally just going to come exuding out, but something that needs to be talked about. He says then they need to be discreet. Okay, let's talk about that idea. That's that same word of sound-minded, discerning, chaste. It's the word, it's a word of holiness. It's that word of uh, hagias, our saints. But this is the idea of have good morals. Okay, now, are we living in a day that this, this is becoming more incumbent to teach young people good morals? Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, we're we're, we're going to have to address it more and more because society is doing what with its morality? Okay. Basically, if it feels good, yeah, anything, 
Yeah. So you and I are going to have to say, okay, we're, we're instructing. This instruction could be mothers to daughters. It could be grandparents to grandchildren. It could be friends talking to friends. And so these are areas that some of you who are of that caliber that you follow into the group of more mature ladies, I'm not talking what age in particular, but if you're giving instruction, you need to talk about some of these things. Okay, they're very, very important. Keepers at home. This is one we don't want to talk about anymore because where is society today? Where is society when it comes to working outside the home? Okay, the bulk, the bulk of people in our society are two-income families. Definitely two-income families. Does the Bible condemn working outside the home? It says, keep at home. I just twisted it. Come on. You've you got to be quicker than that. I just said, it says, keep at home. It's keepers at home. Do you have any passage of Scripture that, that indicates it is okay to be engaged with some activity outside the home? Proverbs 31. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. And so keepers at home, then how does he balance this? How does this, how does this flesh out? Yeah, okay. So it's basically finding this balance. Is it for some people? Is it for some people that they really should they really should be staying at home because they can't keep up with things? Is that a reality? It is. It is. Um, is do some children need that parental influence very early in the first few years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, my parents were, and they weren't saved at the time, but in order to take care of the number of kids that they had, they both worked jobs, but they made sure that one of the parents was around. Okay? And I appreciated that when mom was around. Um, I appreciate things went well. Uh, we personally chose this, that when before Deb was going to work outside of the home, it was going to be once the kids were old enough to go to school. Okay? But uh, the idea is making sure that we're meeting needs. And for some kids, some kids demand more attention. And, and you have to evaluate that and be very, very careful. And I understand this part, too. Some ladies, um, some ladies they, they can handle it really good. And for some ladies, just their development, their maturity, their help, that outside interest is, is of great benefit to them but not to the detriment of family. That's the point of the text, is making sure that we keep the priority of family, even if there is some activities, making sure that the family is being taken care of and not suffering because of, you know, I have this interest, I have the degree, I'm going to do this, and now my children are suffering for it. Uh, there's, there's just no wisdom biblically in that that would turn your children away from the Lord. Then it talks about being good, which you know what that is. Obedient to the husbands, we understand what that is. Being respectful, being submissive in conduct and decisions. Then he talks to the younger men. And he brings up, he says, not only the younger woman, but likewise also exhort the younger, the younger men, verse 6, to be sober-minded. We're right back to that same word, sound-minded, discreet. And from there he jumps into the working persons. 
He says the slaves. And we had that whole discussion of what were slaves. Were they necessarily what we think in Americana as far as the slaves brought in from other countries? And we pointed out that's really not the case. It really applies more and more to the idea of individuals who are employed by. They could be uh, tenant um, individuals working in that, in that frame of mind. Point being, this is the working person. This is the one who's underneath somebody in authority. And he says, the working person, here's what you put on. Obedience to your master, to that uh, employer, which you, you already know. You're following their orders. You're listening to what their instruction. What's it mean that the employee is not to answer again? What's he mean by that? Not answering again. Yeah. Okay, great. Excellent. They're not the argumentative spirit. Okay. Um, being respectful. Okay, when you're, when you're in discussion and not, you know, uh, tearing down the individual. What's purloining? It's an older term. What, what is it? Stealing. Yeah. To purloin is the idea of not stealing, no embezzlement, not cheating. Okay? When you, if, if, and we don't do it as much anymore. But if you fill out a time card, you fill it out accurately. Okay? You don't steal. If you say, okay, um, I'm short of toilet paper at home, I don't have time, you don't take from the company. The problem is, if we start taking little things, what happens? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's talking very practical here. Is okay, this is what you want to, want to do. What's showing all good fidelity? What do you have? What do you, what do you think that is? Faithfulness? Don't, don't talk back? Bad about them? Okay. The idea is that a faithful, trustworthy, dependable employee, that this person could be legitimately, you could say, I'd recommend this individual. They are extremely dependable. That's the idea that he has of showing all good fidelity. Okay, so in this same passage, we read the whole text. I want to just catch some phrases out of it. Titus not only says, here's the way we're to conduct ourselves at work, at home, he also gives reasons why. And he mentions, and I'm, I'm going to do it for the sake of just alliteration here, he gives us a good reason why in verses 5, 8, and 10 he mentions it. He mentions another good reason why in 11 and 12. He mentions a third reason in verse 13. Why we should be careful, for instance, for work, how we handle our family. So if we can just, I'll, I'll put the headings up here. He talks about because of the gospel question is, how might our conduct affect the gospel? Not purloining, not doing any of that, so you adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ, employees. How does somebody's work affect the gospel? Okay. Okay. So, so at work, being different... How does that help the gospel? Well, it can help us to maybe witness to someone. Okay, okay, it can help witnessing. Were you going to say something? Okay, testimony-wise, okay. Can, can somebody, and maybe you can think of a rare case, can Christians, by the way they work, can they ruin a Christian testimony? Have, have you ever seen that happen? How, in, without giving too much detail. Like what? Cursing and cussing, okay. Like you were, you were nodding your head. What's that? 
it didn't match up what, what the at work their lifestyle didn't match up with what was being preached okay okay I've run into that a lot okay um, that people will say you know they call themselves a Christian but they yeah they're no different than anybody else they don't work what's that yeah 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 the, the little things that which tells me that what is the world doing when we're at work they're watching us as Christians. They know that we're Christians, and what is their standard for us? It's a higher standard that they have for other employees. You know, and, and I think we need to grasp that, because you and I say, well, I shouldn't be held to a higher standard. But we are. We really are. And it's very important how we conduct ourselves, because what you said, we can, we can hinder the gospel, or we can, what he says in this text, we can adorn the gospel by our lifestyle at work being consistent with what we would say and what they know we believe and things of that sort. Okay, what about the grace of God? The grace of God is mentioned a couple times here in the text where he talks about, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, etc., etc., etc. So how might the grace of God encourage holiness by the way we work? Hmm. Well, if we reflect on what God has done for us, what should be our automatic response? What's that? Gratitude. Okay? So in that sense that since we know grace brought us forgiveness, then what does that grace point us to do? Live out a holy life and away from those things that we were forgiven of. In other words... If I was condemned of this ungodly lifestyle, if my ungodly cursing, lying, disrespect was what condemned me, and I had to ask for forgiveness for that, then what should grace mean? If I embrace grace, I should... Yeah, I should be different. I should be rejecting those things that I had to ask for forgiveness for. He mentions something else at the end of the text. He's talking about the return of God. How might the return of Jesus Christ affect how we live in a practical sense? We sang a few moments ago, watch, he, you know, he may be coming, he may be taking us today. How does that affect us in dealing with family, with dealing with work? Okay, in what, in what way? Okay. Okay. To witness to them? To impact them? Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So the return of the Lord just gets us incentive to say, I want to win these people to the Lord, so I've got to be careful what I do, what I say. How else might the coming of Christ? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, none of you ever did this kind of stuff, but with my parents who went away for the weekend, we didn't necessarily live like angels when they were gone. But we knew they'd be getting back at a certain time. 
So, now none of you would, would have ever done that, but what do you think we did when we knew that it was getting close to the hour they're coming back? We would clean up, we would get the things out of there that we didn't want, and we would just, imp- so we made everything look like, yeah, okay, okay. So, some of you sound like you've had experience with that as well, okay. So, the return of Jesus Christ, that should encourage us, I think this, I, I think that the idea of us, uh, one, my youth pastor, when I first got saved, used to say, you know, ask yourself, would, would I want to be doing this when Jesus comes back? It was a good question. Do I want to be doing this when Jesus comes back? That question really helped me out to say, okay, what about my language? What about where I go? What about what I do? And this whole idea, you know, how, how, do, I, you know, how do I work for my mom and dad, which... That was terrible in this family business, but after I got saved, some of that had to change. You know, what if I were, you know, could I be as disrespectful to my dad as I was before I was saved? And it was a battle, but it was, it was an impact that the return of the Lord should impact us this way. So Titus gives us all these different, you know, singular things, and then Titus says, here's why. Remember, this, it impacts your testimony. You've experienced grace, being forgiven. Don't go back to that stuff. And Jesus is coming again. The return of the Lord should give us incentive to do right, to live right. So we got all these different lists. My question comes back, what if there isn't something specifically stated? Then how do we determine, should we or shouldn't we? Is it proper? Well, there are some texts that don't give us specific little conduct but it warns us about other practices, some attitudes. And I'm going to be looking for the words in these texts that talk about staying away from things, separating from certain things. And so I know that in our day and age, the idea of the... And it, it was, a, it was a, uh, taught quite a bit, um, you know, years ago, but the idea of the doctrine of separation, that idea of we should separate from the world... That, that's really not popular anymore today. Because, why? What's that? Okay, how do you lead them to the Lord if you're separated? And that's an issue. That's a real issue. Okay, so we have to determine separation, not isolation. Where is that balance? And anymore today, we're being inundated that, quite frankly, we're like that, we said before, the frog in the water, okay? We are so inundated, and I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago, that there's certain commercials you wouldn't have seen on TV 20 years ago. You just wouldn't. It broke down, and it's breaking down barriers. You know, even the, the modesty barriers between guys and gals, I mean, I'm serious, all of a sudden, we're on missions trips, and, and it's, a, it's a whole different world. I'm not saying that it, the, the kids are evil, but modesty barriers about asking, hey, do, do you wear boxers or briefs in a van that's mixed? You know, when I was a kid, you never asked that kind of stuff, even in an unsaved crowd. But there's barriers being broken down that, you know, that are just, you know, and it's, okay, what do we do in certain things? Do we isolate? Do we become Amish? Do the Amish have issues? Does living in, you know, living in this remote community, do they still get bombarded by worldliness? They do. They do. So what do we do? Okay, walk with me through several passages. 
and just work your way through the text to say, okay, what does God want? And then you're going to have to make some of the applications of it. What do these following verses say? We're in 1 John 2. You're going to, I'm, I'm not putting it up on the wall. Okay, so let's turn there to 1 John chapter 2. I'll put our thoughts up there, but not the, not the whole verse because we can take our Bibles and make use of them by turning to these texts, okay, since we're going to spend a little bit of time. 1 John 2, which most of you have memorized, okay, in 1 John 2, starting with verse 15, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abideth forever. Can I back up a little bit to make sure we're in the context? Okay. Verse 10. He that loves his brother abides in light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He that hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and knows not whither he goes, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, taking that whole passage, let's, what are we, just looking, looking very simply, what are we to be avoiding? What is the overall thought here? Just summarize it in a couple words. What are we to be avoiding? Loving the world, okay. So, the world is the subject matter here, okay. What is the world? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be silly here. I really am not. I have been challenged by, by some folk that said, he's talking about the planet Earth. That's stupid. He's talking against you know, the eco-people, the ecology, the, the green stuff. He's condemning them. Is that what he means? No, what's he mean? Okay. We have in our society, we have the world of sports. We have the world of, what else? Medicines? What's that? Entertainment. Entertainment. Okay. We have the world. So you're talking basically, when you use it that way, what are we talking about? Characteristics. Systems. That, that whole, the, the idea is basically that, you know, how things are arranged. The, the world, the, the things that are arranged in the world of education, the way things are arranged in the world of finances, the way things are in the world of sports or medicine, the arrangement idea, the cosmos in that region. So God is saying that idea that love not the world is its values, its ethics, its philosophies, its influences, its um, priorities, don't take what is in the world at large and as a Christian say, this is what I am going to chase after. Is he condemning money? No. But in the world, what is the philosophy? The love of money. Excellent. Is he condemning taking care of yourself? No. 
But what is the world's philosophy? Yeah. Me first. Okay, excellent. If in the world, okay, is he condemning the idea of, of well, let me just put it here. Is he condemning anything goes? Is he condemning that philosophy? Yes. If it feels good, is he condemning that philosophy? Okay, that's what, he, well, that's what we're talking about in this text. Okay, he's talking about those values. And we're supposed to separate what are the following other verses, okay, just to get this and, and tie it with other scriptures. When we're talking about the world, Jesus commented on the world. And it plays into what John, who was taught by Jesus, what Jesus said at the Last Supper about the world, John has to have in mind here years later. Do you remember what Jesus said about the dangers of the world? Let's pick a passage. Jesus is telling the disciples, John included at that last night, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, yet I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What is he telling the disciples about the world and Christianity? They what? Go ahead. They're totally opposite. There's going to be, there's, there's not going to be a mixing. It's like water and, yeah. So basically, the world is an anti-God, anti-Christian system. Would you agree with that? Okay, th- again, this is what God is saying about the world at large. And he's not saying about every single individual. He's not saying about everything, you know, every nuance. But he's saying overall, the world system is anti-God, anti-Christian. If they hate us, it's because they hated Christ first. What does he say about this in Ephesians? You have the quickened who are dead in trespasses, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience or the unsaved. Who, according to this verse, is influencing, guiding, directing the world? Okay, the prince of the power of the air. That is not where, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing back the Amish ones, the Amish said this is radio, this is electronics, and that's why it's evil, okay, in that sense. We're not talking that. We're talking in the spiritual realm, Satan has influence in this system that we live in. If I asked you this, does Satan have influence in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, see, you, would, you, would, you and I catch that one right away. We understand that. Does, is Satan having some influence in this modern society thought about getting rid of all police and authority? Is that, that's coming from satanic sources. Because it's just God is a God of order and, and orderliness and submission to authority. Satan is not about that. Satan is about everyone can do their own thing, okay? And so we understand that in those areas. But when it gets down to, okay, how does this apply to us? And what about our personal life? We're not as, we're not as insightful at times. We're blinded by our own lives. But the fact is, this, say, this system that we live in is dominated by Satan. We can't change that. That's what we live in. The only one who is going to change that is Jesus Christ when he comes back. Okay, but I have to understand, I live in this world. He didn't take me out of this world. In fact, he didn't say to me, isolate from the world. He says, as the Father hath sent me, 
so send I you into this world. Okay, so we're, we, we've got some challenges here. And so that, to give you another passage, he says to the believers, you adulterers and adulteresses, knowing not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Okay, for the believer who says, I can adopt the values of the world, where does that place them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, you're, I, I don't know what other words to say to get, to get it across. You're just like you're doing. Loving the world puts, at, puts, puts us at odds with God. And so I have to live in the world, and I need to function in the world, but I don't want the world to get into me. Okay? Do, do, it's, oh, it's difficult. It's hard. I mean, how many, how many, how many days do we battle it? Every day, every day, we've got to be cautious about adopting the influence. Let me, let me take you back to what I was just saying. Entertainment is a teaching tool. Now, it's just not, enter- you said like a God, uh, world of entertainment. Entertainment influences us. It really does, whether we like it or not. Is all entertainment wrong? No, no. But can entertainment, can it wear us down morally? Okay, if we listen to enough cursing, let's use that for illustration. If we listen to enough cursing, what's the possibility? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And it's not gonna, we're not going to be as sensitive to it because... Okay, if we are told and we are... Let, let, let's take, uh, let's take t- uh, the, the, modern, the modern team. And I'm not picking on them. I'm picking on the system. To the modern teen, what have they been taught by entertainment? What is love? Sex. And if you have any attraction, what do you do? You practice, you become sexually active. And we come along and we say, you're supposed to abstain until marriage. This is one hour a week if they come to just one service. Hour and a half, okay? How much entertainment does the typical young person get that's filled with sex, 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 sex? It's every day. It's every day. And you say, okay, the kids are becoming more immoral. Well, duh. It's becoming just... Have, have, uh, has our society become insensitive to a degree against abortion? Yes that we have peoples who are running that say you can abort up to birth, okay? And we say, no, that's, that's murder? I mean, that's not even a question. That's murder. According to the Old Testament, if you harm somebody who was pregnant and the child died, what happened to the person that harmed the, the mother that miscarried? Their life was taken. It was murder. And so, have we heard time and time again, abortion is okay, abortion is okay. What about those poor kids being poor, being born in poor homes? They may not have the right, da-da-da-da, you know, they may not have the, the solid home. We hear it so much that after a while, what happens in the Christian community? We start doubting whether God said it's wrong. 
To the point that I showed you that stat a few weeks ago, that in the 30 and under, up to 40% of the modern born-again Christians are saying abortion is okay at times. It's, it's because it's, it's adopting a world system that is just influencing us and influencing us. And so we have to be careful. John is saying, uh, you know, this idea that we have to understand, it's an anti-God system. It's an, it puts us at enmity with God. So what are we supposed to do? What, what is it in particular that he's saying in this text? Why are we to avoid the world? What does he say in this text? Okay, let, let's break it down. The world is corrupt. What is the corruption that he specifically says in this verse? There is what in the world? The, what was that? The, he's got three different things he's stating. That, that makes it really evil. Verse 16, what are they? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the what? Okay, let's define those, okay? The lust of the flesh, that which promotes physical desires. Are physical desires wrong? No. But what does the world say? Act on them. Act on them. Are there limitations? Okay, we say from the point of the Bible, are there limitations? Yes. What does the world say? If it feels good, do it. Okay, what's, the, what's he mean by the next phrase? Okay, define for me, what is the lust in the, of the eyes? Things we see and want? Covetousness? Okay, I see something. Okay, okay, excellent. Lust of the eyes is this idea that more, we, we've got to get more and more and more and more. Okay. It's that idea of materialism or, can I put it this way? Insatiable desires. Insatiable? Unsatiable? Okay, okay. What does that mean? Never satisfied. Let's take us. Let's take us. Let's, Let's deal with our own foibles. When is enough money for us enough? We struggle with that, don't we? We all do. When is, it, when is the neatest, newest toy enough? And that's us. And we have Christ living with us. Where is the world? They're, they're a step further than us. And is there a philosophy that you need more? You need more. You need newer. You need better. Okay? In fact, if you watch or listen to anything in media, what do you hear multiple times in all the programming? Okay, what do they call those little things? 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, those little clips. Advertisements, and what are they telling you? You need this stuff. You need this stuff. You need more and more. You need the Jinso knife. Okay, you have no idea how cutting can be cooking, and you get the Jinso knife. You will be able to cut anything, and you'll probably lose 150 pounds while you do it. Okay, and they sell it. And what do we do? Yeah, we kind of like, is there anything wrong with a Jinso knife? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Is it evil to have one? Is it evil to have a brand new car? No. But the problem is, are we content? And we all battle with it, but the world says, never be 
satisfied. Okay, what's the last one he gives? What's pride of life? Somebody said something. I didn't catch who it was. Go ahead, please. What's pride of life? A haughty spirit? Okay. Independence from God? Okay. What does the world say, encourage us to want when it comes to the pride of life? Focus on self? Okay. Who said it? Something. Okay. The idea of acclamation of men being recognized. Is that important to us? Is it wrong to be recognized? Is it appropriate biblically to give recognition? Give honor? Give honor to whom? Okay, should kids respect parents? Yeah, okay, so nothing wrong with it. But where does it become wrong? When it's put before God. When else? What, I'm sorry? Okay, when we're seeking after it? Okay, should I seek after respect from my kids when I'm raising them? Go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm challenging and toying with you here, Ron. Do you understand? The idea is that when this is, this is my driving force. My driving force is, yeah, yeah. It's, I need, I need your approval. Also, you know, and what can easily, let, let's take here. Let's take, if, if I am motivated purely by popularity amongst you, what can happen? What's that? I will compromise. I will absolutely compromise because what am I trying to do? I'm trying to please everyone in the room. Good luck. I mean, I'll, I'll just give a simple illustration. Days like last week and this week, we're in, a, we're in that temperature change. Who's been perfectly happy with the temperature in this room? Right? I mean, last week, this week, I've heard it's too hot, it's too cold, it's... I didn't hear anybody say, it's right, it's right. And again, is that wrong? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just using that as an illustration is, if you're running by the poles, what happens? There's no principle. There's no principle. And so he's saying this is the way the world is all about self-promotion and give me attention. Did the church have that problem in Corinthians? Do you remember what they, they were given something that it was abused by this? Everybody had one. But some were saying, look at me because of what I have. Yeah, it's the spiritual gifts. And they were elevating and it was all about who, who were they promoting? themselves and it wasn't the body of Christ and he rebuked them for it. Okay, so are we are we vulnerable? Have we been vaccinated from this temptation? No, no. And so he's warning us, he says be careful of these things, okay? Hey, here, do you remember the story of Midas? The real story? The way it was originally written? What did he want? He wanted more and more stuff as he was counting his money, so he was given the ability to be able to touch and make everything gold. What happened? 
Yeah, so as the story unfolds, if you remember the, the original story, he got really frustrated when he sat down to eat. Yeah, and then when his daughter came in, basically to say goodnight, what happens to her? He touches her and she turns to gold. The things then he realized, the things that were so important, he had sacrificed. He had sacrificed. Well, you and I know what the Bible says about it. The love of money is the root of all evil. But that's this idea of insatiable. The idea of here I am, I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get your attention, I've got to get to possessions, I gotta get whatever my flesh wants. I gotta get. He says, okay, stop. That's what the world says. And then he's told us another reason. Not only that it's so corrupt that we have to be careful, but what's going to happen to the world. He says it in the verse. What does he say about the world? The world will pass away. In other words, all those things, they don't last. They don't last. Okay? And so, you know what's a really easy way to become content? Is when you have things that you have to repair. Yeah, and you look and say, do I really want to spend time repairing it? And I know we have to be good stewards. I, I'm, I don't mean that silliness to that point. But it's like, hey, if I, I go, my car is acting up, I'll buy a brand new one, I won't have any more car problems. What happens? I'm going to sell my house and get a better house, and when I get a better, newer house, I won't have anything wrong with my house. Okay, and it, what happens? It it doesn't it doesn't work. That's why I tell my wife, why should I go and buy new clothes? Just because they have holes in them, and I have and I go out in the yard and look like a bum, the new clothes are going to get holes too, and she doesn't buy it. She says, I'm not going to the store anymore with you if you dress like that. So my logic, there's a limit to the end of the logic. Okay, I think some of you live there too. Okay. It's passing away. It won't continue. And so let's do this last thought. Um, who are we? I, read, I went back and I started reading some more. According to this text, before he says, love not the world, who does he remind us who we are? What does he say? We're God's children. He keeps on saying it multiple times. He says, you are God's children. You've been forgiven. You enjoy fellowship with God. You've overcome the wicked ones. So why are you going back to this? Why are you going back to this? Let's pick up next week and talk a little bit more about some of these ideas.